Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by speaking to someone who's helped shape the city in some way or other. Not always a Mancunian as such, often a guest who's moved here and made a great impression. This week I'm joined by the brilliant Mancunian poet, Tony Walsh. He's going to tell us about the lasting legacy of his poem, This Is The Place. It's, it's, a, it's a pride poem for Manchester and people that overlay things. Mm. So the fact that something's connected that deeply and broadly and profoundly for those reasons, people, it will always be a privilege, and I, and I can't be, I can't be cherished about that in any way. And he'll also speak about a time he shared a drink with Paul Weller as a teenager. He rips into like a case of twenty-four cans of beers, <laughs> and he has a swig of it. And I'm on the front door of the Apollo, empty Apollo here, and he goes, "Yeah, Apollo says, uh, when you finish with that, mate, can I have the can?" He just, he just took a swig of it, and he, and he gave it us. So I can honestly say my first drink of lager was given to me by Paul Weller. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester a man whose work I've been aware of for uh, several years now and a man uh, with whom I've shared the stage, uh, me playing records, trying to get people to dance and him uh, mesmerising audiences 
with his beautiful poetry. His name's Tony Walsh. Welcome, how are you? Actually, yeah, I'm good, sir. Yeah, they can dance to my poems if they want, you know. I've seen them dance to your poems. I've actually. seen them dance to my poems. The yeah. world has uh, danced or reacted to your poems. We'll talk yes. about that in a little while. But um, first things first, Tony, I know some of this stuff already, but for those mm. that aren't familiar with your background, tell us where and when you were born. I was born in Denton, me, uh, 1965. I'm 53. My dad is Irish, Frank, from uh, County Cavern in Ireland. My mum was English. Mum passed away a few years ago. I was born in my, in my nana's uh, rented terraced house. Mum and dad got a terraced house up the road. You know, this was the sixties. This was this was pre-slum clearance. You know what I mean? They didn't they didn't have a lot of money. And uh, my mum told me she cried when she seen the house. And and I, you know, I remember, I remember seeing a rat when I was three. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I got very ill. I, it was it was damp. I got uh, rheumatic fever. I was I was very ill when I was a kid. We got a council house from from me being ill. Wow. You know, start, start with a big laugh straight away, Cliff. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I like it. This is, I, want, I want painting, paint some pictures, man. And you're on penicillin till you're like 14 or something, weren't you? Yeah, we've we, we not had penicillin that, that, that long. You know, we talk about World War One, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not been around that long in human history. And uh, it saved my life. And uh, I took it every day till I was 14. And wow. uh, I, can, I can still taste it now. And what was the what was the condition you had or the hey, rheumatic, rheumatic fever? When when I moved out about ten years ago, I went to the doctor's. So he looked, I had my heart checked because I did very well to, to come away without heart problems. And, and he looked over his glasses at me, this, this doctor, and he says, "That's a disease associated with poverty." I went, well, "There you go," you know. And uh, yeah, I was uh, I was lucky to uh, come away from that one. What did your mum and dad do work wise? My dad. Uh, Ops about labouring jobs. He drove a taxi for a while, and he cooked on a building site. And also, he didn't stick in one job for long. My dad and uh, my mum. You know, I was the oldest of four, so that's what she did. She she uh, she looked after us. But she, you know, she she worked in a, a sewing machine machinist. Right. You know, at one point we had a we had a big industrial sewing machine in our front room, and my mum was running up whatever she was running up. You know, uh, whatever it whatever it took to uh, bring on my bus. You know, it rubs off on you that being. You know, raised a working class in a working class environment, and my dad was the same. He never had one job; he always did loads of different things. Yeah. And I think that was really rubbed off on the way me, I operate. Today. Me, me, me dad does very well. He's got uh, he's bad on his feet; he's disabled with his feet. But he, he always did manual jobs. You know what I mean? It's only as you get older yeah. you realise what he was putting himself through to bring to bring home, you know, bring home a crust. And your first love of music would that have been through the records that your mum and dad were playing at home? There was there was always a. It looked like an old maid road radio in in like the pantry that was always on. I remember the charts? You only had a bath on a Sunday, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And I remember <laughs> I remember the charts being on, on on a Sunday afternoon. We had no bath in our house. No. We, we had to go to Shaw to my granny. She had a bath, so me and my brother and sister got driven every every Sunday Kids into today, Shaw. You can't to tell them. You can't tell them. <laughs> and we had an outside toilet. They had to show with six other houses. This is blimey, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, my mum had an old dance set. Now I think about it, it wouldn't have been that old, you know, because I mean? this was still the late 60s, yeah. you know, about 70, 70, 72 before I got my, my hands on it. So my mum had uh, a lot of old Beatles, Seven Inches and Elvis. Was, you know, Elvis was massive then, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, I love And him, so yeah. Elvis fought greatest and what have you. So I was into that stuff when I was yeah. seven, eight, you know. And like me, you caught the punk bug when that came. I did, yeah. You know, as a working class kid, you know, the the all that prog stuff wasn't, speaking to me i got time for certain heavy rock but that wasn't talking to me either and uh but you know the, the glam stuff and the bowie stuff you can see you can see now with hindsight how that came across to the, to the punk thing can't absolutely you know? well and also for those of us like yourself you mentioned um like beatles and uh elvis i mean to me like yeah, buddy yeah, yeah. really all the 50s stuff that i love because i'm five years older than you yeah Nobody was doing that apart from the glam rockers they were yeah, they were recreating yeah, yeah. the 50s weren't they? and there's a book i've got there in the house i forget who it's by now simon reynolds i think and he said, you know, the seventies was a was a was a, an art rock decade, just as punk as an interval. And, and he saw punk as, as recycled fifties riffs. Really, yeah. Which, which, you know, now you get older, you realise fifty six to seventy six is no time at all. 20, oh, no. 20, 20 years. So yeah, the punk thing, 
it had to get on top of the pops before it registered on my, on my radar. Thirteen, you know. But mm. um, the Skids were a massive band for me. They were the first band that that really hit me. Yeah. And then then the Buzzcocks, and then and then everything then. And you spent a lot of time at the Apollo, didn't you? Going to gigs, watching punk bands. Yeah, well, I was, I was too young for for club gigs for a, for a few years there. But uh, I, I worked in a supermarket. I actually to have any money, so I was actually okay for money as a, as a teenager. So I was, I was anything new wave uh, come through the Apollo, I'd, I'd be there. So apart from the Sex Pistols, who, who'd split up by then, you know, I've seen all the punk bands. I've seen the Clash mm. and uh, Susan the Banshees and the Damned, the Stranglers, and then that sort of second wave, like your Stiff Little Fingers and, and and who have you. Yeah, we used to we used to go down in the day. And hang about at the stage door there, you know, around the back there. Yeah. And I never did suss the bands weren't going to turn up to about five o'clock because they'd walk <laughs> up in Aberdeen, you know what I mean? I'd hang about all day. And yeah. just as I was thinking of going home for my tea, you know, the Ramones would turn up or the, or the, 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 the Clash would turn up. I, the, the jam, actually, the jam let us into a sound check uh, about 1980. Yeah. There was only about 25 kids there, maybe 40 kids, I don't know. They let us in and Paul Weller come on stage and um, he had, remember McEwen's export with yeah. like, the Cavalier on the front? He rips into like a case of 24 cans of beers <laughs> and he has a swig of it. And I'm on the front row of the Apollo, empty Apollo here. And he goes, yeah, Apollo says, uh, when you finish with that, mate, can I have the can? He just he just took a swig of it and he, and he gave it us. So I can honestly say my first drink of lager was given to me by Paul Weller. That's so brilliant. Maybe that's where I got my mojo from, you know. I like that. Before that, how did you get on at school? Were you a clever kid? Were you a naughty kid? I was, I was all right. And um, I, yeah, I did well at school. And I've, you know, I've written poetry since I was five and six and seven and yeah. they must have... They must have seen it in me, uh, Mrs. M- Miss Mottershead. And uh, they have you writing about leaves and Christmas, don't they, and what have you. And I used to bring mine home, and we spent a lot of time at my nan's. And my nan copied them out into this writing pad. I meant to bring it today. It's very, it's, I think it's a telephone pad from about 1970. It's got like a hippie lady on the front, you know what I mean, in like orange flares. And my nan copied them in there when I was five and six and seven. Then I must have said, can I write them in there myself? And I wrote them in there till I was like 10, 11. There's one about Muhammad Ali floating like a butterfly and all that oh, yeah. from about, I don't know, uh, 75. And then I carried on writing, but I didn't show anybody. So the, the goal till I was about 10. It's nice seeing where, where the journey journey started, and the actual mm. first pages of your poetry sort of yeah, uh, it's, journey. It's, you know, I work with kids now, so I can, and I, I can see that I was pretty good at it when I, when I was a kid, you know, but the system never really saw it in me. I didn't, I didn't really do much with it at high school you know i wish i'd been jumping up in front of punk bands now and all that back at that age but i didn't have the confidence you know right, okay what who was it who christened you longfella because that's your uh your aka isn't it yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm six foot five six foot six it's working on a few levels it, there's uh there's a famous poet called longfellow so by there's a reference to that so like he's a formal poet i'm a bit more informal you know what i mean it's uh, something that gets said in ireland quite a lot the tall guy i'll give it to the longfella yeah. so that's working for me as well and uh, I got a nice logo there for a mate of mine, Dave Kirkwood, did me a fantastic logo with two long legs <laughs> on the double L's. You know, it's clever. <laughs> That's good. So, yeah, there you go, long fella. What was your first job? You mentioned one of them before. You said uh, you work in a bakery or something. Oh, I did all sorts. What did I do? My dad knocked about with a scrap metal fella. And when I was about 13, I knocked about with a scrap metal fella one, one summer. Uh, I remember he took a, a big boiler out of Kellogg's at Trafford Park. I was lugging that stuff about. And... Um, <laughs> Then I worked in a co-op at Crown Point there at Denton from being about, I lied about being, I had to be 14, I was 13. Right. So I worked there till I was 18. What else did I do? When I was at uni, I worked in uh, Sunbless at Bredbury there. Seven hour shifts, 12 hour shifts rather, seven days a week, 84 hours a week. I've still got bloody burns up my arms from doing what, that. What was the wage for that, can you remember? So when it was all to do with tax codes, wasn't it? When you were a student, because you hadn't earned any money, you were actually all right on a, on a student tax code. The blokes used to hate you for it. <laughs> and it, I don't think the hourly rate was any good, but you did that many bleeding hours that you actually come out with a decent wage. You yeah. Know? And did you make sausages <laughs> as well at one point? I did, yeah. Uh, you got Walsies there. <laughs> it used to be called Walsies at uh, 
It was, it's walls, isn't it? But everyone's walls is wall apostrophe s apostrophe yeah, f yeah. walls is like walls. So you so you made <coughs> some blessed bread. You made wall sausages. Can you do you still like a nice sausage butter? Well, you know what? I know what goes in yeah. and, and it ain't great. But I still I do still like a sausage butter, a bit of brown sauce. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Tell us this story before we get back onto your career stuff. You once got held up, didn't you, in a post office robbery? I did. Yeah. So I went to uni, Salford Uni, mid eighties. I dropped out of there. It wasn't for me, and. Uh, I was on the dole for about 18 months in, in Leeds, my girlfriend, my wife now was in Leeds. And um, yeah, I worked on a post office counter about 88 to about 91, 92, all around South Manchester, but Withington mainly. I come in one morning and uh, these lads had broke in overnight and they were all proper proper gangsters cheating me. I think and they were waiting for you? Waiting for us. So they wow. had balaclavas on, guns and knives and that. And it, Rambo was just out as a film, and he had these big Rambo knives, you know. And for a while, I couldn't have talked about it, you know what I mean? I'm okay with it now. How old were you then, sorry? Uh, 23, 24. But yeah. I was the only young lad. There was older fellas and, and older women. So they kept me on my own in case I, you know, had to go back like. Yeah, really? So they had a big hunting knife at my throat there. And then they took us through. And it was, it was a little, more like a little pistol thing, little starting pistol thing. They tied us up with their hands behind my back. So there's a few things make me think. When you, when you hear that sound, tape. That makes me think. Does it to this day? And yeah, to this day, you know, looking down the barrel of a gun. Yeah, you've seen that. It. That that makes you think, you know. Okay. But I, I've still, I think I've still got some. I talk about bruising. I've still got some bruising on, in in a stress place that when I get stressed about anything, you know, missing a bus, it, it presses on it. You know, what I mean, it's still yeah. there. And let's talk about your poetry. So you started writing five, six year old. You didn't perform in public till really late, did you? Thirty nine. You know, I um, I stopped writing when I was about fifteen. Uh, you know, I was writing teenage angsty stuff then and political stuff and what have you. Didn't really write through my 20s, 30s. I had I had ideas, I scribbled ideas. I'm not poems, bits of film ideas and song ideas. And um, I was 39. You used to get City Life, and City Life was great, wasn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, you, like, you're, you're bored on a Tuesday. You'd look, at, you'd look at the music page, then you'd look at the theatre page, then you'd look at the jazz page and the folk page, and, you, and you'd see what was on. So there's always a spoken word page, a literature page. And I used to look at it thinking, you know what, I need to take these poems into town. And uh, there was a, a night happened above the Britain's Protection Day, you know, that little room above the BP yeah, there. Yeah. Per- Perverse, it was called. A guy called Connor Aylward ran it. And I went down, and um, my mum was my mum was very ill at the time. My mum was given uh, she was given a fortnight to live, and she lived about ten years. She was really, really ill, you know. She was in hospital for months at the time. I wanted to say, you know, them poems I had at home, mum. I took them into town, and people thought they were all right. And, and that's what happened. My mum saw me get a certain way with it. Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, so yeah, I went. I went along. And, you know, some amazing poets in, in Manchester. Some of them were a couple of years in front of me at it. Some of them were only a few visits in front of me. People like Jackie Hagen would be there and Mike Gary would be there and uh, people like uh, uh, a guy called Shaggy Lee French and uh, Michelle Green and these people. They, they were, you know, bloody good by any measure. Chloe Poems, really good stuff, but accessible and, and urban and what have you. And gritty. Gritty, all that. But just funny as well, clever, all of those things. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, you know, I want to have a good go at this. So it was like, come back next month. And I wrote a couple more, come back next month. About three or four months in, he's right, you got a feature slot next week. And that was 2004, three or four. And the next summer I taught myself into, into Glastonbury Poetry Stage, you know, and, and I was away. And you've been full-time pretty much since 2011. Yeah, so that was about 2004, and I started meeting people. There's not many people make a full-time living at poetry. I started meeting people who were, and, you know, I had two kids at the time, you know, mortgage, and it was, it was, it was a big decision. About 2007, I started getting, a, you know, a couple of decent paydays, schools and conferences and a bit of a commission and that. And I thought, you know, if, if I could live on a, a single wage, I'd, I'd be okay. But then 2011, 
I was getting you know more exciting offers, and uh, I worked in local government, and that wasn't going great if you think back mm. then and what what was coming. So um, I got I had eighteen years service in, so it was a decent little redundancy check there. So I was saying to my wife, and it was somewhere on the brave to foolish axis at the at the foolish end, you know what I mean? And she just come downstairs <coughs> one Saturday morning, uh, God love her, and said, you know what, if 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 this is it's like the Simpsons, there's, there's a moment in every marriage, you know that he's like, go with me here, love, you know. And she come down and said, you know what, I can see it's eating you up. This, if 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 you want to have a go at it, let's give it a couple of years. We won't starve and um, see where it goes and never, this works out. Never look back. So everything changed for you completely. The day after the Manchester Arena tragedy, twenty second of May, twenty seventeen. Yeah. That day, people outside Manchester didn't really know the name Tony Walsh, but within mm. twenty four hours, forty eight hours, your name became synonymous with what was going on in the city. Who was it who suggested that you should um, read out that poem, This is the Place, at the vigil the night after the attack? Yeah, thanks for that, Clint. I, um, I started getting texts the next day. I was working in a school in Warrington, and we'd all seen the news uh, at night. I watched it with my daughter, and we you know, 17. We were worried that she'd have friends there. And the next day, I, I didn't want to properly watch the news. I didn't want to take it in when I was working with kids, you know. And, yeah. and about lunchtime, I started getting uh, tweets from people I knew worked around Richard Lees in, in, the, in, the, in the leader's office. I knew what it would be. I phoned him on my dinner, can you come and do this poem? And uh, a fella called Steve Michio had died uh, just a few months before, and just a few weeks before, mm. there'd been a memorial service for him at the uh, cathedral. So he used to be my boss 20 years ago in, when I worked for the council, and he became very senior in the council and then very senior in the health service in Manchester, and he died in, in his early 60s. And there'd been a memorial service for him at, at the cathedral, and uh, Steve had my poem framed on his desk, he'd seen it a few years before. Because it's four years before... Yeah, it's written about yeah. three or four years for, yeah. for the you know excellent charity <coughs> Forever Manchester. So all the great and the good had heard me do it at Steve Mitchell's memorial service a few weeks before. So when that happens, it's like, who's going to say what here? I didn't want it be, to be overly political or over-religious, over and it's, mm. it's, it's, you know, get that poet guy down, you know. And who was it who made the call then? It was uh, Richard's office, Sir Richard's office. Right, okay. You know, and um, yeah, it's... Uh, 18 months later and you know let's let's remember what it was about you know 22, 22 absolutely people yeah. young people were killed a few personal people i mean it was it affected everybody massively in this city some people absolutely. more than others obviously but for you it must have been a bittersweet thing that suddenly the world knew you and your words and your talent it, your skill but it came out of such a dark chapter of the it, city's it, history it was hard and it, and it still it still is hard and I, and I feel that responsibility you know really strongly so my, my way of giving that back has been has been using the poem to, to raise money for local causes and it, it's mm. raised about you know getting on for two hundred thousand pound now. It's absolutely amazing, so so within within a few uh, weeks of the of the bomb, the artistic community came together and said, Can we uh, can we use can we interpret the poem in a design way to raise money? So of course I said, Yeah. And I can take very little credit for this, but uh, a guy called James Torrey, who runs an animation company, a guy called Mark at um, Glorious Creative came together, curated this beautiful hardback book with 61 lines in the poem and different artists, creative in Manchester, taking a, a page each. So Peter Savile came on board very early. Kevin Cummings came on board very early. Stanley Chow, people will know. Uh, yeah. uh, Central Station Design, he did all the Monday stuff, came on. And they made this beautiful thing. They sold it for £30 a piece before last Christmas. Waterstones didn't take a penny. Uh, Amazon didn't take a penny. Nobody took a penny. And that raised 150 grand just short off. And that went three ways to the Bomb Fund, to Forever Manchester, yeah. and to the Homeless Charity. And uh, a few other people have licensed it since, and, and that's all That's all going yeah. back, you know. You must have felt a lot of weight on your shoulders that moment in time. I can understand that. But to your, to your credit, the fact that you and I, you along with people like Andy Burnham, 
both the Gallagher boys, Noel for writing Don't Look Back in Anger and Liam for the way he came back and did the One Love gig and Ariana Grande for coming back to the city so soon. You become one of those individuals that really will always uh, represent the way that Manchester showed this is the way we're going to deal with it. This is how we're going to start I, the, I, I the think, year. I think Manchester can be can be very proud of that. You know, let's yeah. let's let's not overreg it. Some some of what happened was just a, a human response that, that that would have happened everywhere. Just a, a ba- you know basic, respectful, dignified response. But I yeah. do think we singled ourselves out with the with the collectivism of our response and the way we stood together as a whole city and and the creativity of it, the way it, it came out in all sorts of different art forms. It was mm. dance mixes done in my poem and classical mixes. It was projected onto buildings, people have had it tattooed on them. Yeah. But, you know, uh, people brought whatever their creativity was to the situation. And, you know, choose love, we stand together, mm. all that stuff, the whole one love thing, the whole be thing. The cities, uh, I think, can be proud of the way it's responded by yeah. and large. And 18 months later, now I'm assuming, like, when you're out and about doing your gigs, you're still expected to do that poem. Yeah, it, it, it surprised me. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's been amazing how, how deep and how quickly it's been absorbed in, mm. into the culture. Uh, and, and people do want to hear it, and and it's translated outside of Manchester as well, which I, which I didn't necessarily think would happen. Right. People want to hear it outside Manchester, and um, you know I work in schools. I wouldn't have done it in primary schools necessarily, but they, they know it in primary schools they now. They do it off by art. They've done their own versions. There's displays on the wall, so uh, I don't I don't do it all the time, and it's hard to be known for one thing when I've got all sorts of other stuff. I imagine it's emotionally draining to it. It's not like it, if you're, you know, compared to a musician with, you know, that might be his biggest record. Yeah. You're not just reciting a record. It's it's bringing a lot back to you every it, time it, you do it. It is. And I, you know, I've only got to say this in a certain way. And, and you know, people start crying. Yeah, right, yeah. And, and it, you know, the poem's not about the bomb. It's, it's, a, it's a pride poem for Manchester and people overlay things mm. onto it. And, you know, as an artist, it's about connection, isn't it? So the fact that something's connected that deeply and broadly and profoundly for those reasons with people, it will always be a privilege and I, and I can't be I can't be churlish about that in any way. And when Noel Gallagher wrote Don't Look Back in Anger, he wasn't thinking about the arena tragedy. No, and, and you know, Noel's on record saying, can I, can I have my song back, please, in, in, in some ways, because yeah. of what it, what, it, what it means to him. Yeah. But, you know, Noel and Liam... Uh, have done the right thing by that track and again you, you've got to be proud when your work connects that way with people and Noel took you to you too didn't he a couple of years ago is that right yeah I've knocked about with Noel a, a few times we we share a, an Irish council house Manchester background you know what I mean and, and we, we have a good chat about that I was in Manchester a couple of weeks ago and you uh, two were on and he, he asked me and my missus down and we met him at his hotel and Got the uh, you know got the limo into the back of the back of the gig there. He just watched it from from with the public. Stood yeah. up, stood up in the arena there. People were coming up to him, you know, every thirty seconds, and he was very gracious right through the show. Yeah. It was an amazing gig. And did Bono did he mention your name or did he sing it or something? He did. When I first met Noel, he told me that he texted, tweeted my poem to Bono on on, on the day of the vigil. Who's this guy? I don't know. Da, da, da. And um, so when seeing you two were on, I said to Noel, "Yeah, can can you get us in here? Like, can I, you know, to meet him and that." He says, "I can. You can do better. I do better than that. You can come with me, because he was in town to see City in the day." And so he gets backstage and that, and and I, and I sent a copy of my book properly into the dressing room to Bono, and a guy come out and said, "Oh, he's telling them all in there about your poem." Oh wow, blimey! So we're watching a gig, and about four songs in, they do um, "Beautiful Day." You know, you used to be match the day theme tune. It's a beautiful. That's day. right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he sings it, and apparently he does this everywhere. He goes. There's a point in it where he where he changes the words. So he goes, uh, see the world in green and blue with the long fella right in front of you. Oh, and, and I thought, did that, did that just happen? <laughs> and he's, he's up all there, was behind me, put his hand on his shoulder, he goes, did you hear that? He, goes, he said he was going to do that. I was like, wow, that's, uh, 
That's quite something, that. Pretty amazing, that, isn't it? Have you got a recording of it? I have, yeah. Of course, these days it's all over YouTube, isn't yeah, it? So, um, good on. <laughs> ah, yeah, I'm having that. Let's talk about Manchester. Mm. Say, one of the things that I'm talking to on everyone's podcast, one of the things I'm asking my guests is to try and define the spirit of your average Mancunian or the spirit mm. of the city. Do you think we have got a unique sort of spirit in these part, this part of the world? There's something here, isn't there? Because things happen here that don't happen anywhere else. You know, and, and by any measure, it's not a big city, is it? And the city centre isn't big. If you think, you know, I always say from Castlefield to the Academy, to the Apollo, to the Arena, there's, mm. there's your four corners. You've walked around and, it, and it's yeah. only, a, what, a mile and a half on a, on a diagonal? And, and what has happened here and what continues to happen here is incredible by, by any measure. So there must be something in the air, something in, in the water. It's a working class city by and large and something comes from that. It's a diverse city and, all, and always has been. There's a lot of Irish heritage here, a lot of uh, Italian heritage here, going back here, people from the West Indies, from Africa now and, and Asia and what have you. So that, I think that melting pot, that cross-fertilisation helps. I think uh, I think the weather's got something to do with it. You know, we're, we're only here as a city because of the weather, aren't we? The damp air helped them spin the cotton. So we, you know, right. we moan about the weather, but, but we're all here because of it. It defines us, doesn't it? And then it, it feeds off itself then, doesn't it? You do well to find where it comes from, but then there's such a momentum here that it's in the air, you can plug into it, everyone knows someone who knows someone, you know. And as a poet, you've got a world of material just right outside your doorstep, and you don't you could make a career out of the next thirty, forty years just writing poems about things you see in Manchester. Yeah, and, and there's a great there's a great poetic tradition here as well, on all different you know, poetry's as broad as music. So you you know you've got uh Carol you got Caroline Duffy here, the the, the, out, the outgoing poet laureate. Yeah. You know, you've got all sorts of uh, academic poet, poets here, great writing skills at MMU and, and the university. Uh, you've got uh, poets coming at it from a, from a rap side of thing, from an urban side of thing. You've got people coming from working class thing. You've got punk poets, you've got reggae poets, folk poets. Yeah. So we've, we've got an amazing literary and poetic tradition here as well. It's a great thing, isn't it? What are your favourite places in Manchester? Like hanging out places, places to walk, places to eat? I live, uh, I live just by Eaton Park, me, so uh, I've, I'm always in Eaton Park, you'll see me uh, knocking about in there. I, uh, I do like, uh, I do like a, a pork bun from, there's a little bakery in, uh, in Chinatown, just by the, just by the arches there, by the arch there, called Ho's Bakery. It's like Greg's, but it's Chinese, you know what I mean? Oh, Chinese, Chinese savouries. I'm often in there. I like <laughs> to try and keep up. I don't, I don't go back to the same place a lot. I like to check out the new places, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so yeah, I do like eating out in town, you know. Do you still get 20 gigs? I do, yeah. I, I get, get to a lot of festivals, you know, with my poetry, and then mm. I check out, uh, I see the bands there, and I check out those guys when they come in town. I've seen, seen the Slow Readers Club a, f- a good few times over the last couple of years. We just mentioned them before. And uh, when, when the Central Library here reopened, you know, the big round library, and uh, Slow Readers were, you know, three or four years ago, they performed, I, in- I introduced them. So it's been great to watch those lads get on uh, bigger and bigger stages and, and they've sold out the Apollo before Christmas haven't they oh, it's amazing three and half, know, and, uh, three and they've, got, they've got a big classic stadium sound haven't they yeah and uh, good luck to them and it's, a, it's one of those sounds that it's internationally loved isn't it that sound so there's it's no just... reason why they can't go and smash it all. yeah all they really can good luck to them what do you think about the uh, the way that Manchester's developing architecturally in recent years it's interesting there's, there's some great new buildings and there's some great new quarters there's some stuff that's less than great you know uh, we're losing some of our old buildings, which which is a shame sometimes, particularly when they're of architectural merit. You know, not not everything is. It might be old, but isn't necessarily of you know listed status or architectural status. It was a shame to lose the uh, the Odeon, I think, the heritage of the Odeon as an iconic building. And you can't preserve cities in in aspic. It's the way it's the way of things that things yeah. move forward, isn't it? You know. And Hopefully, they'll get the balance right. And uh... yeah, 
I wouldn't like to make them decisions. Dave Moutry was saying similar thing that he appreciates the architectural, you know, the brilliance of it, but he wishes that there's more social housing being put up in this city. Absolutely. And, you know, I worked in social housing for, for 20 years and, it, you know, it saved my life, literally going back to what we were talking about at the, at the start. And, you know, we're here in the city centre, we're here in Spinningfields. There's a lot of, there's a lot of money about in there, you know, yeah. Uh, in, every, in every sense, in every way. But, you, you know, you can throw a tennis ball from here into, into Salford, into Hume, into Miles Platting. And those are some of the most deprived communities in, in the country, aren't they? Yeah, And, uh, you know, we need to keep the balance right. What's coming next for you work-wise? And uh, you're doing some touring, I believe. And uh, you got yeah. another book coming out? Uh, all sorts. This, this last 18 months, two years, has been so crazy that it's, it's, it's put some of the publication side of things on hold. So I've got a, a backlog of things to get out. Mm. There's a thing called Digital Kids happening, a kids sort of gaming tech conference. I've got a new book out. My dad was into Minecraft. I wrote a Minecraft poem. All right. Hooked up with a Minecraft specialist. So we're talking about putting the poem in Minecraft, but there's a book of that in the meantime. Uh, I've got a thing on at Heaton Park and the RNCM. I've worked with a, a classical director and composers, and I've written some World War One stuff linked to Heaton Park. That's been arranged by top conductors and sung by classically trained singers and music people. Because Heaton Park, is that where they did a lot of the... A um, lot of the training. The rehearsals for what was going to happen in uh, World, World War One. World War I and World War Two. Yeah. yeah. Amazing history in there. And then my second... Full collection is, is much delayed. I'm going to put that out next spring. It's going to be called Work-Life Balance, but with three full stops, poems about work, poems about life, poems that offer some sort of balance. So I'm going to tour that nationally in this spring. I've got uh, a Manchester gig that we just booked. Uh, between now and then, I've, I've nearly sold out Berry Met on December the 12th. If people quit, they might get tickets there. And uh, yeah, giving it a good go next year, touring my new book and see where it goes. Yeah, Bits of telly stuff on the go. Who's your football team? Well, it's interesting. I'm, uh, I, I grew up a United fan, and, and I wrote the uh, official tribute when Alex Ferguson left United. Right. I, uh, I brought a tear to his eye, but City wanted my This Is The Place poem. We let them put it in the dressing room, and they made a big donation to Forever Manchester. So I'm a United fan, and my poem's up in, uh, in the City dressing room at the minute. Uh, if I was said to you, Tony Walsh, who are your favourite humans of Manchester, past or present? Give me two or three names. Oh, blimey. Now you're asking... Uh, you've got to take your hat off to people on, on the design side and the uh, photography side. So you're coming up with names like, like Peter Savile, you're coming up with names like uh, Kevin Cummins, you know, those, those sort of people. Uh, Malcolm Garrett doesn't always get name-checked in that company, but, you know, Malcolm did all the early Buscock stuff, yeah. professor of design now, those sort of people. You know, people don't always mention uh, Roger Eagle the way they should uh, yeah. owned and ran the international, massive part of the Stone Roses story. I saw I saw the Stone Roses international one, yeah. and he goes right back to the to the Northern Soul thing. You know, you put me on the spot, Eclin. That's that's got to be a long list there. You've got Manchester District Music. <laughs> it Archive. won't be as long as Rowetta's. <laughs> yeah, if you give me some prep, I'd, I'd have thought this through better. But um, you've got Manchester District Music Archive. If, if people uh, don't know about that, it's an amazing thing. It's it's an online museum, so you go on there. And every Manchester band artist ever, going back 150 years, has, has got a page. Every club ever, every record mm. shop has got a page. And then people upload their memories, they upload their artefacts, their old posters, their old stories, their old tickets, T-shirts, all that. And it's got every venue there, so that means that also everyone who's been through town gets a mention. Yeah. So there used to be some sort of cave in Stockport cut into them red cliffs, and yeah. Jim, Jimi Hendrix played there. So if you want to know about when Jimi Hendrix played in a cave in Stockport, that's the place to go. It's MDMA, Manchester District Music Archive. Was it Dave Rolfe that started it? Dave Rolfe was involved and, and yeah. C.P. Lee, who's somebody else yeah. we could mention, Chris Lee. 
and um, Alison Surtees and, and, and Matt Norman, uh, Abigail Ward. It's, it's an amazing thing. If you're into your music, then you'll click on there and you'll just lose a week and a half. It's almost like it's like a Wikipedia. It's like a part Wikipedia, part Facebook page, which is all about Manchester's but if you, music. If history. you've got stories, if you've got stuff in drawers, old flyers, old tickets, old photos, then get on there and upload them. And if the artist or the venue you're on about isn't there, then you can create that page. It's great. Fantastic. Right, final thing, Tony. Describe Manchester in three words. Can I have four? You're going to say this is the place. You know what? I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to. But there we go. I, 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 I can have to do an apostrophe. No, this is, is place. It's place. It's place. <laughs> this, this is the place. There we go. There's four. I'll I have four. I wouldn't have expected anything else from you, mate. Tony Walsh, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. Cheers, Clint. Thanks for having me. There you go. That was Tony Walsh. Make sure you join me next week where I'll be speaking to the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Mr Andy Burnham. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Humans Excess. And subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us and feel free to leave us a comment. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.